Welcome to Momentum Church. We're so glad you guys are here. Um, I, I, I'm probably the third person that's welcomed you today, and, so, and that's good. And hopefully you've been welcomed even 10 more times than you're walking in. But uh, welcome to Momentum Church. We are a community of Jesus followers who together are an unstoppable force for good. And that's what we want to live by, and we hope that you see that in us. We hope that uh, that's something that you feel and that you see when you come and meet us. But uh, I am not Tim Payne. I am a little bit better looking, and uh, I'm, he's not here right now, but, but uh, he does get to listen to the podcast. I forgot, so he'll, he'll get me on that. But uh, I'm Jeremy Ballion. I'm the student's pastor here, and uh, I just want to give a shout-out to our students here in the front. They are uh, supporting me. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell, but I'm so nervous today, but uh, this is my first time preaching here, and uh, it's such an opportunity, and I just want to embrace that opportunity that God has given me. Uh, but I uh, want to recognize the students. If you are a student in here, 4.30 p.m. tonight, uh, we have Epic over here at the gym in the back. We have awesome games, uh, food, and uh, food, and uh, food, yeah, and, and a lot more stuff. But uh, uh, I remember the time when I was, um, uh, I wasn't dating my wife yet, Debbie, she's this, uh, my baby mama over here. Uh, in the front row, uh, I remember when I was um, not dating her yet, and I was still in that stage where I was trying to lure her in, you know, and um, we, I, uh, we had got connected back again on Facebook, and our families had known each other from, for years back in the Philippines. Her dad was pastoring there. My dad was, was a missionary over there, and uh, years later, we, you know, we had lost contact, our families, and we came back to the States. Her, her dad started pastoring in Los Angeles. And um, we found each other on Facebook. And, of course, she was still kind of too young for me at that time. So I was like, eh, you know, I wasn't really attracted to her at that time because, you know, uh, that for that. And then uh, years later, a couple years later, I found her again. I was like, man, she is old enough, you know. And she is, she is, she is hot. And, uh, man, she is so beautiful. And uh, I remember uh, she, was, she had a picture she, she had a picture in, um, in front of this uh, 1990 Bronco. You guys fans of, uh, of uh, American cars, Ford? Yeah, all right, good. Well, um, I'm a huge fan of, you know, American cars, especially Ford in, in general. And uh, it doesn't mean found on road dead, okay? So, <laughs> but uh, she had a picture. She had a picture that she was standing in front of this 1990 Ford Bronco. And that's what she drove, this, you know, girl drove a big Ford Bron- 1990 Ford Bronco, and I was like, man, yeah, you know, and so I, I remember uh, messaging her on Facebook, and what's up, you know, and, and uh, long story short, I got her number, uh, we started texting, Facebook messaging, comments, and uh, texting, and phone calls, and messaging, and comments, over and over again, and um, it ha- this happened every day for about, about a little over a month, just every day, nonstop. I'm just, she's in a movie, I'm texting her, and she's trying to respond and maybe ignore me a little bit. But uh, anyway, so, so this happens. I remember a week before Christmas, I, I said, I wanted to make it official. So I, I wanted to make her, uh, ask her to be my girlfriend. And so uh, her words to me was, well, that was, it doesn't, it's not good when it starts with a well. So she goes, well, um, I've got some things that I need to fix, and uh, I just got some, and uh, I, I got to fix these things. I got to, there's some things I got to kind of worry about or just kind of take care of, 
And that's pretty much what she said. And I, I was devastated. I was, I was hurt. I was probably depressed for, man, the next few days, few weeks. And, and um, long story short, of course, as you can see, we're married. So she, you know, she said yes eventually. But uh, another time was when, uh, when we were already dating, nine months into when we were dating, I flew, I was living in Dallas. I was serving at a church in Dallas. And she was in Los Angeles. And I flew uh, to visit her, and this is nine, it was a long-distance relationship, and I flew to visit her. I remember that one day, I think it was my last day, she was at work, and I went to, to her, I visited her house, and, and her dad was there, and I wanted to talk to her dad, and, and I had, I pushed it off to the last day, so in case her dad rejected me, at least I was flying back, and, uh, and I wanted to ask her dad to mar- uh, if I could, not marry me, her dad, but her, if I, I could ask her dad if I could marry her. And her dad basically said, um, well, my wife and I, it starts with a well again, my wife and I, we dated for two years before we talked about marriage. And we had, by that time, we had just been dating nine months. And because I knew already, I mean, this is it. You know, why wait if this is it, right? And so uh, I told, uh, he said, are you sure? And I was like, well, yeah, you know, yes, sir, I'm sure. And, uh, but he, so he said, well, okay, you got to move here to Los Angeles, and you got to serve at my church. <laughs> That's what basically he told me. And my plan was to marry her and bring her back, you know, to Dallas. That was my plan. And uh, her dad had different plans. So, but our, our text today is James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. And this is what it says. It should be on your screens. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and trials or tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. We've been going through the series of James. Our pastor has gone through the first week of just the introduction, introducing us to who James is, this pastor is, who wrote this letter. And then last week, we went through verse 1 as we've learned about servanthood and we've learned about James giving his life up to serve Jesus Christ, to be a slave of Jesus Christ. And so we know that James is the half-brother of Jesus, and he went through his own struggles, his challenges in life before and after even Jesus' uh, death. So these Christians, he wrote this letter. If you could, if you read the, the first few verses, he says, after he introduces himself, he says, greetings, or hello, depending on, you know, what version you said. He says, hello. And then all of a sudden, right away, straight away into it, he says, consider it a gift, a sheer gift when you fall into your trials. You know, uh, James, he does not retell a story. He's not retelling the Christian story. He is not talking about doctrines. You know, he doesn't talk about uh, defending the gospel, but he already assumes that the people who were reading his letter, they were Christians. They were Jesus followers. And so he starts off with one word, like I said, you know, just a greeting, and goes straight into that verse. And there's going to be two things about trials that we're going to see. I think it should be on the screen, might be on your notes, but there's two things about trials. The first thing is that they will happen. They will happen. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when. Just think about that word, when. The word was not if. Consider it a sheer gift if you fall or if you go into trials. It says when. We all know that trials are inescapable. It's going to happen. It will happen. And just like, just like dying, it's going to happen. 
And so James, what he was saying was that we need to consider trials a gift. We need to consider it a gift. It should be great joy for us to go through these difficulties. I remember when the day uh, that Debbie's father had basically told me, you got to move here if you want, you want to marry her. I remember flying back and I was so devastated, so hurt. Uh, I was pretty depressed. And, I mean, every time I flew back to Dallas, it was always a, a hard moment for me because it was a long distance. And, um, you know, we'd get to go on dates when I would, you know, visit her. And then all of a sudden, man, go back to Dallas, you know, and, and not get to see her. And I remember flying back, you know, I, there's this thing that I, that I did when I would cry. And the students know about this. Uh, they're already laughing. I haven't said it. But um, I, used, I, I did this thing when I would cry so hard. It, it would be called, it'd be called the lip cry. And if you guys don't know what a lip cry is, it's like this. I don't know if you guys can see it from up here, but it's, you know, you're crying like this. And... <laughs> you know, it's like one of those types of cries, and I'm just devastated. I'm like, man, oh, I miss her. I want to be with her. And now she, now the dad's telling me to, to start all over again and move to Los Angeles, and that's so far, and I got to quit Whatever I'm doing here, the ministry here, if I got to start over there, start all over fresh. And it was hard. You know, even, even the time when, when Debbie rejected me that first time, that pain that I was going through. And to you, that's probably, you know, we look back and say, that's a small kind of pain. But at that time, that was huge for me. And I don't know what kind of pain or difficulties you guys are going through. You know, what struggles, what those trials are, uh, those challenges, those hard challenges. You know, whatever it is that's wearing you down. I don't know what those are, but the first thing is we know it's they will happen. And the second is that they come in all shapes and sizes. They come in all shapes and sizes. That It says in, in verse, uh, verse 2, it says, come from all different sides. They come from all different sides. I remember uh, when, when, my, uh, when my dad died when I was 14, um, I was... Uh, I was sophomore, I believe it was. It was 1994. Um, you know, that, that was such a hard, hard deal. And uh, I remember growing up thinking, man, I don't know if I would survive without my dad or my mom. Because I knew a couple of students my age that they were going through that and their parents were both gone. And they were being raised by either their grandparents or aunts and uncles. And I just remember thinking, man, I don't know if I could handle that. And so the Lord saw it fit, you know, took, uh, to take my dad away. And I just remember having this bitter feeling. You know, I was 14, and um, I remember, and it's still fresh, you know, and it's been, you know, 17 years ago. And I remember thinking, why do you take my dad, Lord? Why didn't you take somebody who is a rapist? Why didn't you take somebody who robs? You know, why do you take somebody who has given his life to you? Who has given his life to you fully? Why? And then James is telling me, consider that joy. I'm like, are you serious? You know, it's custom in the, in the Philippines. When, when your pastor dies, the members, you know, for the most part, they go to as much as they can, you know, all in, in one house. They shove themselves into one house and, and they, they cook for you. 
they, uh, they wash your clothes, they, they clean your house, uh, they set tables, you know, all these things. And um, I remember the, that we had, uh, we had the, the funeral services for my dad. It was about four or five nights of it. And I remember I was taking a nap. I was in my room, and I thought it was a dream. And then I woke up, and I, and I ran right away towards the stairs to run down. And then I see all the members of the church in the house. And it was just a reminder, you know, that, yeah, he, he's gone. You know, it was, it was such a difficult time for me. Everybody was giving us Romans 8, 28, you know, for all things, you know, all things work together for good to those who are called, uh, for those for your purpose, for those who are called upon his name. If you can, uh, somebody can help me remember. But I remember thinking when somebody was telling our family that, I was thinking, you don't know. What do you mean all things work together for good? You're not in my spot. Your dad didn't die. It was my dad. And I remember having this rebellious spirit. They come from all shapes. They come in all shapes and sizes, these trials. You know, 14 years later, then my mom died. I was already 28. uh, And I just remember I was serving in Dallas, and I had to talk to my pastor when I got the call that my mom would be in, in hospice care. And uh, I had to go home for three months to, to help her and serve her. And I remember talking to my pastor saying, you know what, I'm going to do that. And so I had to live off of my savings for about three months and, and just live with her and with my grandparents who were there helping me take care of her. But that, you know, gr- after that, it became a reality when I was a younger, when, when I was a teenager, just thinking, man, now it's, I don't have my parents. You know, how do I find joy in that? How will I find joy in that? James was telling us otherwise, you know, he said, as Jesus followers, that we go through these trials when they happen. When they happen, you know, to count it joy, to consider it a sheer gift. Uh, in James chapter 1, verse 3, in the, ver- in the third verse, it says, because in the NIV, it says, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. All those tests, all those trials that you go through, it matures you, it grows you. You know, James, who, ro- uh, who wrote this letter, he was one of the first martyrs. He died for his faith, and, and he found joy in those difficulties that he went through and those challenges that he faced. He counted it an opportunity. He embraced those opportunities to find the joy in those trials. You know, God, I want you to listen to this. God wants us to consider it an opportunity to see our trials through joy. When Debbie and I moved here, that was, uh, we've only been married a year year and a couple of weeks. We just, we just had our first year anniversary a couple of weeks ago. And we were, ta- we were driving and we were talking on our anniversary. Could you imagine one year ago we were saying our vows? One year later, here we are in Florida. And we never knew we were, we were coming to Florida. We never knew that God was calling us to Florida until a few months into our, our marriage. Um, it's, it was such a, such a struggle for us, you know, we, we were debating, you know, with the comfort of 
what we had. We didn't have much, but it was, it was comfortable for us, especially for a newlywed with the jobs that we had. And God had blessed the, the, the jobs, the careers that we had. It was, it was progressing in, in, in a cool way. And, you know, for, we thank God for that. But we had to leave that comfort. No, we didn't know what was going to happen to move here. I mean, we've been here three months now. And, you know, I'm just being honest with you, just being straight with you. I, I don't have a job yet. And we're thinking, man, what is going to happen to us? And, you know, we thank God for, for uh, Debbie being able to, uh, God giving her a job through, uh, through this one awesome company here. You guys, most, most of you guys know of. And, uh, but, you know, man, I'm still looking. And uh, there's, there's some days that we just wake up and we're like, man, God, what are you going to do? And we, we're trying to count that as a joy, count it an opportunity. We're trying to embrace this. It's, so we've got some funny stories, you know. We, we, we've got no, uh, no money, but it's so funny how God just provides for us, and it's so awesome to see it in front of our eyes. But you're counting it as joy. It's so hard. But that's what James is telling us. That's what the Lord is telling us through his letter, through James' letter. You know, we've got to start fresh. We've got to find new jobs. And... You know, God gives us his promises, and he promised us before we left, you know, when we moved here, we're going to take care of you, or I'm going to take care of you, he says. And, and God gives us his promises, but before that, before he gives us his promises, there is a process first that he has to refine you. And uh, two weeks ago, our pastor uh, took us, the staff, to the gym uh, right, before, right before our staff meeting, he decides it was spiritual to, to take us to the gym. And, and it is, it is. <laughs> but I just remember uh, there, was, there was five of us on staff, right? One guy, one of the guys on staff threw up. And, you know, uh, it, it was, I was being refined, you know. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was, oh, gosh, it, all these guys, it was easy for them. And here I am just... You know, you, you, get, you get it. You get the picture. And, you know, I remember Tim telling me, don't tap out. Don't quit. You know, and, and if you quit in the process, you'll miss the process, right? If you quit the process, you'll miss the process. The process is me having abs. And, you know, I, I can't quit, you know. And, but uh, if you quit in the process, you'll miss the promise. And... Um, I'm going to go ahead and call, I guess, Caleb uh, to come up. I'm going to be ending it here pretty soon. But if you guys are fans of, of uh, UFC, anybody, any, any fans of UFC here? Uh-oh, none. Okay, good, good. Okay. Well, there's this thing called the rear naked chokehold, right? And uh, it's, if somebody's grabbing you from behind right here around your neck, choking the life out of you. You know, you're, you can't look at the time. You're not thinking about the time. You're just thinking, man, I cannot breathe. I can't breathe. But little did you know there's only 10 seconds on the clock. And if you last that 10 seconds, you get through the next round and you get a better chance of winning that match, right? Don't tap out. We can't tap out. You know, I, I have this, um, this uh, uh, the real original 
newspaper from the day after the Dallas Mavericks won the NBA championship in 2011. And I, I hold on to this because this is our only championship. And uh, it's, it's, so, it's so dear to me. I, ha- I have yet to frame it. But 2006, Dallas played Miami Heat in the championship. That was their only time they made it to the, to the finals. And they got swamped by the Miami Heat. They got killed. Four or five years after that, maybe even six years, they were struggling year after year to try to get into the championship. Every time they get in the first round, they get eliminated. They called it the ghost of the first round playoffs. Would never make it past it. Finally, 2011, everybody was calling them off. They beat the Lakers, swept them, beat the Thunder. Finally, they're now in the championship against better elves than the Miami Heat again. Dirk was sick on game two. He had the flu. I mean, he just think about Dirk Nowitzki. He, he could have quit through those years. He was a free agent. He's a great player. Any team could have picked him up. A better team, maybe even. And he would have better chances of winning the championship. But he didn't quit. He didn't tap out. He said, I'm going to stay. 2011, they make it to the finals. And sure enough, they won against the same team that kicked them out five, six years ago. Don't tap out. Don't quit. There's a takeaway that I want you guys to to be able to write down. It should be on there. You guys walked in. You guys had some lemon uh, lemonade. And it's, you're probably thinking, man, that's kind of random. Uh, but lemonade is pretty is really good, isn't it? But if you just grab the lemons by itself, it's totally different. On your seats, you found, you know, some sugar packets, and you know, nothing better than sugar in the raw. Uh, but you mix these two together, of course, with with water, and you know, it becomes lemonade. It becomes so thirst quenching, right? You're thirsty. Such a good quencher. What is that lemon in your life? It could be loneliness, it could be depression, what are those struggles that you're going through, those addictions, those challenges, it could be money, maybe your your finances are, are down, it could be another addiction that you're going through, it could be maybe a death in the family, it could be an illness, serious illness. James says, consider it a sheer gift. Consider it a sheer gift. When tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Because you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. You know, your trials to take away. Your trials are not meant to break you, but they are meant to make you. In the third verse, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And I'll close with this verse, Habakkuk chapter 3, 
verse 17 and 18. It says, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Let's all stand up. I'm going to give you an opportunity here that you can come forward, kneel down and pray. If you're going through some struggles, you're going through some trials, as a Jesus follower, you're saying, man, there's so much I'm going through right now. So much hard stuff. You guys don't even know. God says in his son Jesus Christ in John chapter 16, 33, that he's got that peace that can give to you. In the world, you're going to have troubles. You're going to have troubles in the world. We can find rest in Jesus Christ.